Hey, assalamu alaikum, peace. It's Imran here. How you all doing? Yeah, I'm well, thanks for asking. Uh, just got back, well I say just got back, but about a week ago I was at a, at a wedding. That's right. No, no, not my own, not my own. Um, it was actually Elias Kamani's son, Ismail. And it was his walima, and mashallah, it was a lovely do. And uh, so I want to congratulate them, uh, Ismail and Jamina. So well done to you. And obviously to Elias. Um, brought up a fine young man, mashallah. Uh, and also to the two chaps who recognize my voice. Yeah, that happened. And it was a little bit odd. I was actually leaving the venue, ready to go home. And... Uh, a couple of the guys just called after me and I turned around and they were smiling and I thought, okay, I don't recognize these guys. You know that feeling when you think, ah, somebody knows who I am and I don't know who they are. I should know who they are. And then they revealed that they're actually sub subscribers to this podcast. And I was a little bit blown away, actually, because obviously, you know, my picture isn't all over this thing. But they said they recognized my voice when I was speaking. They overheard me. And then when somebody called me by my name, that's when they knew. Um, but anyway, really lovely to meet you guys. Um, and uh, yeah, hope you, well, hope you're enjoying the series. Hope you're still listening anyway. And sharing and sharing with people. Uh, and I did encourage you to write in as well. Okay, so I want you to do that too. Okay, today's episode. It's a discussion with Elias Kamani, of course, uh, activist, part-time imam, uh, therapist, relationship counsellor, etc. And uh, we're speaking about something which is closely aligned with, uh, with addiction, which is resilience. Now, this subject is, I think, critically important when it comes to, well, when, essentially when it comes to life, uh, the ability to bounce back from adversity unless of course you're planning not to have any adversity in your life then then you can skip this episode but for the rest of us I think it's important to understand essentially what resilience is whether or not it's something that is fixed within you or something you can build spoiler alert it is something you can build um, and what are some of the examples of resilient people and not only people but uh, nations as well um, and events in history I mean we we go all over the world on on this one we we go to South Africa Rwanda Sierra Leone but not just Africa Northern Ireland we go back in history a thousand years to the Crusades um, and even further back to the Battle of Uhud and the conquest of Mecca and we 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 try to understand how resilience played its role in all of these in all of these places we also uh, discuss some specific instances that Elias and I have experienced and there's even a mention of Rocky 3 and Clubberlang okay so younger listeners if you haven't watched the Rocky series now's the time to do it absolute classic and Rocky 3 especially is uh, is all about resilience and yes, of course, Elias and I discuss resilience when it comes to relationships, specifically within the Muslim community. We also go back to 2008 when I was being advised by Elias as my marriage was crumbling. And I ask him, 
Why was I unable to put into action the advice he offered? So yeah, had to go deep on this one. As always, I would love to hear from you. So do email me at divorcemuslimdad at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. M-O-I-A-Z-A-M, that's right. Um, I'm looking for comments, suggestions, feedback. Um, keep it constructive. And also, if you do want to share your personal story uh, in a sensitive way, then uh, please do get in touch and we'll discuss how we might be able to make that happen. Okay, this is season two, episode seven, The Only Way Is Up. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're riding high in April, shot down in May. But I know I'm gonna change that tune. When I'm back on top, back on top in June, I said that's life. Get their kicks stomping on a dream. But I don't let it, let it get me down. Cause this fine old world, it keeps spinning around. I've been a puppet, a pauper, a pirate, a poet, a pawn and a king. I've been up and down and over and out. And I know one thing. Each time I find myself flat on my face, I pick myself up and get back in the race. That's life. How do you understand this concept of of resilience and 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 how it impacts on people's lives and and whether or not it's something which is fixed or something people can change? Well, look, uh, look, all of these skills are skills that can be developed. You know, this whole idea that somehow some group of people are more resilient than another group of people is a complete misnomer. Yeah, in the same way we use the term creativity, people think, oh, certain people are creative people. You know, no, creativity is a skill. And everyone just unlocks it. And in the same way, you know, the thing about resilience is it really is. It's, it's totally a mindset. It's totally a mindset. And, you know, one of the things I always love about resilience is this. Just the word is an amazing word. Don't you think so? It's one of those words, resilience. Well, it's something imp- you want to aspire to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's what it is. It, you know, people talk about it. And, and it, almost like it's, an uh, you know, an ideal or an, something unattainable sometimes here. Yeah? But... No, it's again, it's just one of these things which has to be trained, has to be coached, has to be developed and can be developed, you know, and it's a lot of it is overcoming and our previous programming, which is not resilient, which, if anything, is, is very, very, you could say, you know, easily capitulates. Yeah. And doesn't deal with adversity, hardship, difficulty. Yeah. So the, the term resilience in itself, the word is a, is a brilliant word. You know, when you say it. It gives you a bit of a glow because you realize we really admire all of these individuals who have been resilient and it's such an admirable quality 
and uh, we ourselves say oh i wish i had it yeah but you can you can obviously develop this nurture this quality and i think as a as a as an, it's also a national character you know because when i talk about resilience one of the first things i put up is the japanese tsunami and I put the images of the tsunami, which, you know, was for the first time, I think we saw a tsunami taking place and it was all over the world, broadcast all over the world. It was horrific, man. really is. Mm. Absolutely, you know, seeing this total devastation, enormous loss of life, you know, uh, you know, devastation of infrastructure. And, uh, and, you know, what's going through our minds in this is that how are they going to recover? really you know this is how do people recover from this and you know i and then i show an image of of roads uh and infrastructure that was absolutely devastated and then i show a picture of it the week later and it's been completely rebuilt that you would not even know it had happened okay the japanese are quite amazing in this regard of responding very very quickly to calamities and what we call the bounce back and you know just you know Whereas other parts of the world, when I've seen disasters like this, natural disasters, and I've seen it in the mindset of people as well, you know, whether it's floods, earthquakes, et cetera, et cetera, it, 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 it unfortunately leaves utter devastation. And then people don't recover. And then you see years and years later, you still see the remnants of that scars and things have never been repaired and things have never been done. And that in itself, in itself reflects a kind of interesting state of mind because resilience is something which is learned. When you see a role model of someone who is dealing with adversity, takes personal responsibility, and is personally accountable, you know, is someone who, whenever they have setbacks, doesn't allow it to completely, you know, wipe them out, but you see that they just fall down, brush themselves up, get up, get up, and just keep on moving forward, yeah? And they withstand crisis, and then they know this withstand it. Then you see them thriving, maturing, you know, developing even more. You could say, uh, you know, uh, backbone, resilience, yeah, and uh, to deal with more adversity. Okay, so it's a learned quality. But if you see the opposite, and someone who is constantly, you know, uh, being wiped out by difficulties and hardships, and and has this mindset of never taking personal responsibility, always deflecting, saying, blaming the world, okay, you know, and not having a higher purpose, interestingly, not having a higher purpose, then, you know, this in itself, is a, it, it trickles down to children, so we actually see it. The Resilient Dads program looks at this concept of cross-generational transference of adversity and trauma and inability to develop resilience and it goes from a grandfather to a father to a child and it just keeps on going on and on and on and uh, you know and no one breaks it fundamentally you're absolutely right you know what makes one person in the same situation have more endurance have more resilience have more steadfastness uh, have make less excuses is because they're driven by a higher purpose ultimately driven by a higher purpose uh, and uh, and that's why I think resilience shouldn't just be a word and shouldn't just be an aspiration. You know, really, the question out there is, if you don't have resilience in your life, ask yourself why. In the same way, I always say that if you haven't got 
happiness in your life or if you don't feel at peace in your life don't deflect ask yourself why introspect ask yourself why why don't i have it and then you're right seek meaning seek a higher purpose seek something which will actually you know uh allow you then you know you'll find immediately okay i'm having challenges difficulties hardships but i'm still moving forward i mean i i heard this uh, you know a story recently about the civil war in sierra leone yeah when i heard the details of it i couldn't believe that this had actually happened yeah. you know that it had just the total breakdown of society uh-huh. you know in a way that you know is comparable to what happened in rwanda right, right? which is another example yeah and you know in sierra leone you had former neighbors essentially a tool of war was to amputate and hack people's limbs yeah right and i was reading this and thinking okay and how on earth can you come from that to actually now a functioning society where you are living cheek by jowl with mm. the people who were previously your mortal enemy mm. right and it's it's honestly it's, it's just totally fascinating and that's well, what I, 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 think, I think i think the most poignant example of that is actually the peace and reconciliation of south africa you know you had you know decades and decades of apartheid which was an abhorrent despicable policy of racial segregation and white supremacism and uh, and then obviously nelson mandela okay you know uh, and the anc win power and what are they going to do are they going to take revenge and what's going to happen yeah and instead what we have is a peace and reconciliation process a process of healing and a process and 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 really what did they decide to do go low or go high that's the key point here and they decided to go for a higher kind of moral purpose because otherwise they just descend into this cycle and you don't of violence retribution you know and revenge and hate and that's it and it's sad we see that in the muslim world there's a verse in the quran i always quote it la tastawil hasanat wa sayyiat idfa billati hiya ahsan okay the good deed and the evil deed are not equivalent infability he has repel evil with excellence and goodness ie as a way that uh, you know uh, it's been put is that when they go low we go high you know that's the way it should be you should never reciprocate evil with evil you always reciprocate now people in the muslim world have these wonderful principles but don't kind of seem to practice it and you know why i talk about de clerk and mandela and peace and reconciliation is this because i always say people then talk about northern ireland as well was a peace and reconciliation process which is very fragile at the moment but i always say what's the first example in history of a peace and reconciliation process on on the scale of a nation and people kind of scratch their heads because they think the first one was northern ireland and then and then obviously apartheid no the first is the conquest of makka when the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam after 21 years of persecution of hardship of torture of losing of all of these companions of humiliation now you know comes back to makkah with an army of 10000 and uh, you know what does he do he forgives everybody mm. that's it no one is harmed obviously certain individuals came out to attack and then obviously they would dealt with yeah it's just a handful of people he forgave all of his enemies 
okay and even then you know and, and he also kind of gave them positions and and you know uh, you know elevated them you know we have that when Saladin came back and conquered Jerusalem from the Crusaders they they thought the Muslims were going to come in as the Crusaders had done and make rivers of blood in Jerusalem he forgave everyone he gave everyone safe passage and this is lofty Islamic principles you know the good deed and the evil deed are not the same repel repel evil with that which is most excellent and then it says your enemy your very enemy becomes waliyun hamim your friend okay it's so you know we have these amazing precedents all all of these examples they show in this moment where people are at crossroads and they can just go down the same path or they can define a new reality what they do is they choose a higher purpose higher value systems okay and and that's really how they're able to because otherwise you can't deal with it as soon as you go low and and, and i want to kind of bring this down to the level of family disputes and we deal with this when we're dealing with marriage and divorce you know you know we've said it in our you know conversations why is it that when it comes to muslims and the issue of marriage it and literally this week i've had more cases yeah it is always world war three it's so acrimonious it's so bitter it's so petty this is muslim marriages and muslim separations based on you know we've been given these principles and yet people descend into complete you know immorality and and you know uh, injustice you know uh, and I, I, mean, I've, I've 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 obviously i've i've heard these stories right? yes um uh, during the course of you know recording these podcasts, I've you know I've spoken to lots of people. I get lots of people emailing me, and mm. yes, we are generalizing, right? But it's I would tend to agree with what you're saying. I mean, you're you're at the sharp end of it. You're getting yeah. you're actually dealing with a lot of these cases. Um, I, you know, when I think about my own personal experience, uh, I I don't I don't know how to really understand it. I don't want to take like massive credit right for you know for being able to engineer a situation whereby i get on with with my ex and you know we we effectively co-parent in all of that you know mm -hmm. at the same time um you know there were certain things that i, w I was aware of i was kind of i was when when we divorced i was kind of, i thought okay right we have i was able to rationalize it and yeah. not think emotionally i was able to base and and to uh, to my ex's credit, she was also able to do that. And I always say this when I des I describe what we went through is that it takes two to tango, right? Mm -hmm. You yeah. essentially have one of three situations when people part, right? Either uh, both people lose their minds and it's World War Three, yeah. or, or one person manages to retain some sanity, but the other one loses their mind. That's World War Three, and And then rarely you get a situation where both people say, you know what? we gave it a good shot you know yeah. i still remember the good right and you know i'm ready to move on now and i wish you the best kind of thing and if you've got kids involved that's even more important because you have a joint project for life mm -hmm. you. so you know you and i have gone back and forth on this so many times and yeah. the question i always come back to is why what is it that seems to be within the community where if two people part that it has to be done in the most destructive way yeah like why this is a learned behavior 
they've seen this always in their environments. They don't see, you know, I, I don't think they see in their family environments and in their kind of social environments, an environment where there is forgiveness, that there is acceptance, that there is a tolerance, that there is, you know, you giving up your needs for the sake of others. They don't see it. That's the, it's not a learned behavior. Or they isn't, see that, isn't that what are being this you, is what, you, this you gave examples there. Look, I just mentioned the ver you know the verse in the Quran. Not just will Hasanat was say it for here asent. Such noble principles, the good and evil deed are not equivalent. Always repel evil with which was better. Which means in negotiations and in conflict resolution terms, yeah, always be the one who's and the Prophet in Sulh Hudaybiyah when he made this treaty, he took an unfavorable treaty because overall, yeah, it had uh you know benefits yeah you, we don't see this you know honestly we just don't see these lovely and then i gave the starting off with the example of japan which is comes essentially a shintoist confucianist kind of culture yeah which they don't and but you know with elements of buddhism as well they don't believe in in god interestingly yeah? you know uh you know they just have codes for living i i noticed a real powerful quality when i was working in africa and you talk about Sierra Leone, and I was in Central Africa, you know, Uganda, you know, and that was also working with, you know, all people infected in Central African conflicts, yeah. And they were amazingly resilient people, actually. Found. They went through horrific stuff, real horrific. They had trauma, real, real trauma. And yet they were getting on with life. And I remember this statement, uh, you know, Imran, that was just, i never forget it, about a guy who'd lost everything. He'd lost everything, man, and family and everything. And I'm looking at this guy, and I'm, I'm in a state of utter despair in myself internally. This guy lost everything, but yeah, he's so firm. And, you know, he said to me this, yeah, he said, you know, we came from nothing and we go back to nothing. You know, essentially, I didn't know what his religion was. Mm. He said, we came from the desert, we'll go back to the desert, you know. I fear for you, though. Because if you had a loss, you wouldn't be able to take it. You know, he said that, and I'll never forget that. Wow. So, because it just, and he said, you're right, we can't even lose our phone, and we're complaining. You know, I always say this, yeah, there's three, these three interesting paradigms. Blame the world, me against the world, the world is against me, or the resilience of, parad uh, uh, the paradigm of resilience, which is, you know what? It's because of me. It's my own hands have earned this. I take personal responsibility. So I'll give you an example. You know how I put this in practice. I remember a couple of years ago. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm I was doing a lecture in Birmingham. Yeah, and so you know, I'm rushing towards a lecture theatre and trying to get to the place where I'm going. And I was juggling about two or three different things in my hands, and uh, my phone kind. Of, and and I, I remember having this conversation with my kids the day before and saying, you know, because they would smash their screens on their phones all the time. And I said, look, I've had a phone for you guys. I've never, ever smashed the screen on my phone ever before. Yeah, <laughs> okay, why do you guys always smash your screens? And then as I'm rushing to this lecture, my phone kind of like just slips out of my hand, slides along the ground, slides along the ground, smashes against the wall, <laughs> screen smashes, yeah. And one, you know, then has to then look at what their resilience is, yeah. Mm -hmm. And now I've got to oh, the world is against me. Why does this stuff always happen to me? Why does this always happen to me? Or I can then go and externalize it and say, you know, all these people who make me late this lecture, all this and all that, and you know, you know, I had to rush, and this is why it happened, and it's not my fault, and all these people having I have to carry all my own. So I could go into that 
And I just stopped and I smiled to myself after I've told my children about this, yeah. And said, you know what? Yes, you can't juggle four things at once, yeah. You know, mm. it's your fault, you know, you reap what you sow, yeah. You are the one who's responsible for this, yeah. Take it on the chin. That's it. End of, yeah. And and that's a small example, you know, of, of this. And but is 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 that the key then? It seems to be that you rationalized you were able to rationalize in the moment so is is a key to is 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 resilience the ability to have perspective right or yeah. is it is it an emotional response no 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 it's the first you you take a perspective a higher perspective you know and you actually take a personal responsibility you realize i can't control all the other variables the only thing i can control is myself my own mindset my own behavior I'm not going to go into, you know, for example, you know, let's say there's a conflict that takes place on an interpersonal level, family members or in within a relationship and within a marriage, you know, everyone is in the constant blame game, deflection games and that really a self-aware, resilient person stops. And you know what they say is, that, okay, what have I done? How did I contribute to this? You know, what did I do to miscommunicate? You know, have I, have I misled? And then they say, yes, I have, I apologize. I accept responsibility, I messed up. Okay, well, what's, what's stopping people? There's, there's a few things here. So to do that requires executive function, mm -hmm. right? You need that. And we've already discussed the fact that actually executive function can be impaired from a traumatic childhood. Yeah. Right? Um, but assuming you do have executive function, what stops people from asking themselves that, that question? Because as far as I can see, the majority of people I've spoken to or, you know, anecdotally, people don't ask themselves that question. They just repeat what they've previously done. Yeah. And, and, and because essentially people want to live in a denial and a deflection and a delusion. And the delusion is this. This comes back to real resilience comes from actual total brutal honesty with oneself because you cannot achieve that sense of self-awareness without brutal self-reflection and honesty and and then from resilience and under before resilience there is discernment and we call this furqan or faraka the ability to actually know what 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 you know where i'm at in order to then take a step away from this if it's a negative state and there are some delusional states, I'm afraid, that I have when I work with people. And the first delusional state is that if you're already seeing yourself as a, as your as your best person, yeah, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm 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 fine. I'm I'm a good person. I'm a wonderful person. I'm an amazing person. It's everyone else who's wrong. Mm. Uh, two, it's the number second is that you know it's their failure to understand me rather than my inability to communicate. You know, number number three, they're against me. They're the ones who are wrong. I'm right. They're wrong. You know, all of these kind of various delusions, which what they do is they reinforce a view of your own self is that, you know, you only you, you don't have to change. You're the victim. You're the one who's been oppressed. You're the one who, uh, you know, is in the right. They're in the wrong. This is such an unhealthy mindset. And you always have to be brutally honest with yourself. You know, and I, I like that, you know, yes, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. 
I've done this. I've created this situation. I'm responsible. All of these different things, which are really hard for people to do. And, and they just want to completely deflect. And the core of resilience is that brutal self-honesty. See yourself for who you are in your true light. See yourself. Look in yourself in the mirror. It's ugly. You know, when you're, if you're having a bad day and you, you, know, you feel unfulfilled, you feel, you know, there's, there's no happiness, there's no peace, and there's no value in your life, look at yourself. Totally look at yourself. Mm. And so, you know what? What am I doing? And what, why am I not changing things? Change your way that you look at it. It's, it's all a thinking issue. And, you know, look, there are two, you know, again, you know, uh, this is what I find amazing about our religion, alhamdulillah. Yeah? It tells us these amazing things. In Allah, Allah does not change a condition of a person until they change their, themselves. You know, look at yourself. Look at what you've done. Look at what you need to do. And then there's another amazing tradition of the process. And, and I and I and I always kind of when in context of resilience, I always mention it. And it goes, Ajabil Amril Mu'min. How wonderful is the life of a believer in the Amr Everything that happens in your life is good. Mm. Which basically means look. Allah says, everything that's happening in your life is good. Wow. That means hardships, difficulties, challenges, ups, you know, downs, you know, uh, disasters, everything that happens in your good. And then it goes on. But however, this is only the way of a believer. Okay, it's a mindset issue. And then the rest of the hadith goes that when a believer has a uh, you know when something good happens in their life they show gratitude and this is resilience links in what we are called gratitude mindset and a mindset of abundance mm. and then you should so when when good happens in your life you show give shukr you're gra- grateful and when there's a hardship or masiba in your life you have sabr or perseverance and again resilience encompasses all of these gratitude perseverance steadfastness core clear purpose all of that is that's why resilience is, is an amazing concept it sub, uh, subsumes so many interesting things within it and uh, you know you'll see this you know uh, that again likewise in other verses of Quran he mentions yeah because resilience is all the way through Quran when you talk about istiqama and sabr and all of these kind of qualities yeah you know he said, you know, mankind is uh, ungrateful, you know, and has this impatience that when good comes to them, they're really happy, you know, whenever it's coming. But when you have a hardship and difficulty, then you become argumentative and complaining, and then you get that negative mindset. Now, the abundance mindset, which links in with resilience, is you look at the world as a world of abundance, not of of scarcity and shortage. So therefore, what you do is that you realize everything is good, you know, whether it comes to me or doesn't come to me. And you uh, you recognize within your life that you have so much abundance anyway. And so you're already rich. You're already, you know, got everything you need for in your life for your purpose. You've got it all there. You know, like that man in the desert, he said, you know what, this is where we come from, this is where we return. He was totally, he said, I've got everything I need for my journey. You know, 
the and and you know there was some really interesting research and it's coming back onto this kind of the muslim mindset and it was this idea of people having a view of the world of scarcity of resource and then that how that links in with uh you know how they conceptualize you know uh, abundance yeah if you if you see the world as a limited amount of resource then you grab whatever you can and you are very covetous of that if you have an abundance mindset you give even more and i mentioned this in my khutbah a couple of weeks ago and every time i do it it's a very emotional story i remember when i was in uganda you know uh, every morning i'd go to the guy who sells roti on the streets and he would uh uh, you know, I'd buy five paratas of him. He was making these paratas on the streets, and I'd get these five paratas. Yeah, that, explain, that explains a lot, by the way. Hey, you got it, man. <laughs> okay, uh, it's kind of interesting in itself. Yeah, that you know, you know, we just buy five paratas like it's nothing, and then you know, I would just chomp on it through the day. Through the yeah. day, I'd chomp on these paratas, give me some energy. <laughs> I was doing a lot of work. I was doing a lot of work, man. I was doing a lot of work, bro. Okay, there, yeah. And this young man comes up to me, he said, excuse me, sir, you know, and I find that's wonderful about Uganda. Okay, can I, can I be of assistance to you today? I thought, such a polite, loving man, yeah. And not begging or nothing, but say, can I be of assistance with you, for you today? I said, no, I'm fine, thanks very much, yeah. I realized I had these rotis in my hand, yeah. And it's nothing for me, so I said, hey, take this, okay. And he takes this, yeah. And he taught me about that child taught me resilience. And I, I, a lot of my work on resilience is actually based on my work with children in Uganda. I found them to be amazing, the, the toughest children in the world, you know, despite living in absolute poverty. These are street kids, yeah, Imran. And so I looked out the corner of my eyes and he went to the rest of the street kids, it must've been about seven or eight of them. And he was like the older one amongst them. And he took the rotis and he tore them and he, you know, and he gave one piece to every other child. Wow. And, uh, you know, it still gets me, yeah? And then, you know. You Abundance. Know, then... Abundance. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, he tore it up and gave it, and then he taught me a real powerful lesson, you know. For me, it's so easy here to give him five rotis, yeah? And, you know, and uh, and he had, I thought I had an abundance mindset. He had the abundance mindset because he realized less is more. Food for one is enough for two. Food for two is enough for four. Food for two, four is enough for eight, as the Prophet said, yeah? He realized abundance. Can you imagine, in a, you know, being in an environment where you don't have that? As soon as you get that roti, guess what happens? You just run off and you just have it yourself, okay? Mm. And again, it comes back to purpose. And I had this with a, some Kurdish refugees once. Someone gave me a whole lot of money. I had a big wad of money, yeah? And, uh, and I went up to some of the Kurdish brothers and I said, brother, look, and, and very, did it very discreetly, okay? I said, here's a bit of money, yeah? Mm. From food, yeah, and things like this. Yeah. Very discreetly, I didn't want to kind of, because I think when you do give charity, you know, do it in a way which dignifies his pe dignifies people, yeah? You know what he did to me, that brother? Mm. Big wad, honestly, it's a wad, it was a wad. Guess what he did? Yeah. He's a refugee brother. He gave it back to me. He says, there are people more in need than me. When, when, you know, Imran, when he did that, I choked, man. <laughs> I choked. Yeah, I'm, you know, I thought, I didn't know what to say. Refugee, and that's what you, we've been talking about, you know, resilience. So in the time of absolute crisis, that's when your value, values come out. What you really are about, what really you stand for and what you stand against. 
and whether this is embedded in your behavior or not, you know. And I've got to say, you know, we use, I know, I don't want to use the term snowflakes, yeah, or because it's got such a kind of polarizing meaning today, nowadays, yeah, but you're right. I, you know, why aren't people exemplifying and embodying these values when it really comes to the crunch, man? They don't have it, you know. Do you and think? You, um, do you think? Yeah. Do you think that Allah gives us um, these kind of incredible tests throughout life uh, because it it is a means of building that resilience and essentially your your ability to be resilient is directly correlated to your relationship with him so yeah and absolutely absolutely and i think this is why you know a really important life skill is being what i call you know a reflective practitioner or you know having a reflective mindset which means that everything and and anything is learning and is a lesson I mean, every day there are lessons out there, a multitude of lessons. Every person you meet, every situation that you're in, uh, every eventuality that you're confronted with is a learning opportunity for you, you know. And if you take that as a learning experience, then you grow. You know, everything, I'm learning from those kids. I'm learning from everyone. I'm learning from my interactions today. You know, that's, and of course, you know, we backtrack and we, you know, but still... We're trying to move forward. That's very important and powerful because you're absolutely right. Allah is giving you lessons every day and you're being confronted with this on, on, a, on a global level. And the questions you need to ask yourself is what would I do in these situations? What would the real my best self be? What would the better person do? And we have the blueprint of the life of the Prophet who always is about such exemplary behavior and conduct. You know, at Da'if, the point of Da'if isn't Oh, the Prophet was, you know, abused, oppressed, harmed. That's not the message of Ta'if. The message of Ta'if is that he rose above it in a way which we can't even imagine. You know, he forgave people and despite such provocation and harm that he experienced on that day. And today we have much lesser situations than Ta'if, but we are less resilient. We seem to, everything just seems to go completely out of the window. And that comes, you know, emotional control you see one of the interesting things about the eastern cultures which is that the japan why is it that they recovered so quickly from a tsunami because they can be quite clinical and non-emotional about it yeah and uh, just get on with it whereas unfortunately and the mindset of others is that they allow all of the emotions we've spoken about in the amygdala previous traumas and previous negative emotional mindsets then to be affected and channeled by a higher executive towards reactionary behavior rather than resilient behavior. That's why it's happening, you know? And, uh, and yet, like I said, we're being confronted lesson after lesson after lesson, yet we don't seem to, to really, you know, uh, kind of take, take them on board. And as I said, the Prophet as an example of resilience, you know, throughout, can, look, Imran, imagine this, losing your mother and father as a child, massive trauma mm. overcame that trauma through the care of and I, and I did an Akika last week and I said the purpose of Akika really is that it's a whole village that brings up a child and it's a caring loving, supportive compassionate community and village of people 
that bring up the child, yeah, as it was brought up by the Prophet from his grandfather, then to his uncle and Halima, his wet nurse. And, you know, it's a community, you know, that helps you to build resilience. So you're right, you know, it's a collective element. So we spoke about a lot of what we spoke about today has been, you know, the, the meaning, the existential purpose, having that higher purpose and, and trying to train ourselves to always realize the bigger picture and 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 see this not just as you know just react to the event but you know really rise above it and realize that Allah is testing us Allah has he hasn't burdened us more than we can bear we've got everything we need to really be able to deal with it we spoke about managing the emotions here as well that you know immediately there's an emotional reaction but the way we channel our frustration all of that you know we will get we may well get angry but use it as a force for good again that links in with meaning but i suppose the third element of it is this you've got to have people around you who are modeling you know that you know positive you know positive relationships of people who are modeling you know what i call you know resilience and you know uh they are giving you that sense of positivity you know again there's such a negative reactive culture uplifting and positive you know you know when i when i run my workshops on this yeah i put some really kind of a yeah almost kind of slightly cheesy but they are inspirational they get me every time you know honestly yeah and you know i remember there's this guy who whose son had cerebral palsy he says to dad dad you know it's somewhere in my presence he said dad you know i want to run a marathon yeah i want to do a marathon Dad was in his forties and very overweight, so he starts running and puts him in a in a kind of wheelchair, and he, you know, ended up I think in his life doing about a hundred or a thousand marathons with his with his son. Okay, wow. you wow. know, I, I can't remember the name. He's an American guy. Yeah, he passed away a couple of years ago. I think I mentioned him. Passed away a couple of years ago. And when you see this guy, you know, he, his son said, "I want," you know, he's he's got cerebral palsy. He's physically severely disabled uh, and limited but not obviously psychologically and psychologically and you know he wants to do this and he did it with his dad man amazing his dad just said no okay let's do it you know and that was level of positivity and amazing you know what, what people are doing yeah yeah you're right you need people like that around you you know let me um let me take you back to around 2008 mm. so in your living room, uh, I'm sat in front of you. Okay. <laughs> and and you're giving me advice about my failing marriage. Okay. Right? And you're telling me what's going on, mm -hmm. what needs to change, pretty much like you do with all of the people who come and see you about their relationship problems, right? They, they only come to you when things are really bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. And... I am trying to work out what's going on and you're and you're trying to help me out. Um, I don't think I particularly listened very well to what it is you were saying at yeah. the time. That, that, you'd agree with that? Do you know what I think? Look, if we're going to be really honest, I think there were three phases in, in your relationship. You're right there. You know, I, I think the first was just there isn't a problem. Because, you know, I think there was a sense that, you know, everything's going fine. We have a lifestyle, you know, we're, we're, we were perfunctory and thought, so what's the problem? 
you know. So I think there's first complete denial, mm. and then next to after denial, I think there is okay. All right, I'm talking. I'm going to have some advice and guidance around this, yeah, but I'm still stuck in my own way of thinking. So I'm only filtering it through my own paradigm now, mm. which is very selective. And it's reinforcing the way I want to see the situation, the way I see the world. Mm. So you're not really taking on board any of, of what's going on. And therefore it goes back into just not taking it seriously and then being reactive and just patching up uh, and not really dealing with the fundamental root causes. It's because your filter was, was preventing you from really seeing the wood for the trees. And then the third stage is when you actually start to have brutal honesty when you uh, when you actually start to just kind of you know really see what the real issues are you ha you have total honesty with one another. and i've had this with a lot lot of my clients well this is the why i bring it up this this is why i bring it up right yeah. because um i think no i don't think i know mm. i needed to go through that divorce yeah in order to give me a chance of actually challenging myself to think and act and feel differently. Okay. It just, for me, it wasn't possible to do that whilst being in the marriage. And I think back to, I mean, it's, it's easy in hindsight, but I think back to the divorce as a very, very healthy moment. Yeah. For absolutely. me and for my ex in that, in that regard, because post that it's like the way i see things is uh, you know you ask allah for for wisdom in your mm. life and he gives it to you through yeah. giving you problems right mm. and yeah. so you have to solve those problems and essentially when you go through something like a divorce you 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 have two choices as with any kind of trauma right you mm. can spiral right um, yeah. or you can see it for what it is as an opportunity to step up or at least try to step up and in my case and i think this is the case for probably the vast majority of the people uh, of people you need a significant kind of event in your life in order to turn it in the right direction mm -hmm. yeah now yeah. there is a small percentage of people who don't need that you know, yeah. God, ble God bless them. Right. Yeah. You know, they they can see tomorrow today, mm -hmm. you know, and therefore they will then affect the change in their lives in order to to mm -hmm. and they will take the hard choice and they will challenge themselves and their own identity, you know, in order to make those positive changes. So this is a long way of coming to this kind of question of what does it take really for somebody to change direction to change the way they think in a healthy in a healthy way because clearly there are blockages from from what you're saying you know yeah. you're speaking to a lot of people you speak to brick walls most of the time how do you break through that brick wall as quickly as possible how do you make sure you're not wasting your time yeah i think there's you know the start point is that most people don't break through the brick wall that's the whole thing you know and so therefore because they think they have because Remember, as I said, it comes back onto that first point. If you only see the world from your point of view and then your own self-serving objectives have been achieved, you know, so it's a delusional state, you know. And, you know, 
I, I, I think we've said this a lot, yeah, but the only way you make that breakthrough, I said, I've said it earlier, is total brutal honesty. Now, look, when we were talking, it was a safe space, Imran. It was a real safe space. You know that I was there was this was there was no judgment, there was understanding, there was compassion. Yeah. yeah. You knew it, but still you couldn't make that breakthrough. My ego wouldn't allow it. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's it's like I said, it's it's even when you create a space which is safe and understanding, and then you know, and then what I've noticed time and time again, when people are getting closer and closer, you know, then they self-sabotage. They go back to it. And you know, one of the classic examples in so many cases, that's why I'm really reluctant sometimes to do relationship counseling, is that, you know, one party, and it's often the male part of the party, when things eventually don't go their own way because they see the, the writing is on the wall and, the, and, and they see that their, you know, kind of uh, paradigm has not been fulfilled, guess what they do? Then they flip it on me. It's your fault. Right. You didn't know. Why aren't you telling her to do this? Why aren't you do? Why is you know? And then they always <laughs> flip it on me just to reinforce their self-centered view of the world. Yeah. Okay. It always happens. It follows. And I and then you can predict what's going to happen. This is this is the whole thing. So you're absolutely right. You know. Let, let, let's look at it. within our cultures. Yeah. You know. There's a humiliation. There's a sense of shame. There's stigma. There's also the fact that, you know, there's uncertainty, there's fear, there's financial implications, you know, children are involved. So there's, there, there is, there's a lot of reasons why people would want to deflect self-sabotage and then just go back to their kind of own self-affirming view of the world, you know. And you're right, you know, look, even Allah says this in the Quran, and this is the core of resilience. Okay, you may think a thing is good for you when it is bad for you, and you think a thing is bad for you when it is good for you. Allah knows, and you don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, the Prophet ﷺ, why did he have to go through so much hardship and difficulty and loss? You know, because the lesson had to be learned. That's the only way. You know, the Prophet ﷺ in the Battle of Uhud, yeah, you know, his, you know, this was a defeat. He was assaulted for one hour, you know, he was physically harmed in this battle. It's something that they had to go through. And Allah says in this, you know, in relation to the battle of Uhud, and I always, the people say, Kultum Why did this happen? The companions of the Prophet said to the Prophet, Kultum Why did this happen? This is in the verse in Surah Al-Imran. And then Allah replies, Kul huwa min aindi anfusikum. It is because of your own self. Can you see it? It's both. It's 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 the 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 dilemma, the delusion, and then the existential response here. A person has a calamity, a hardship, and difficulty when you know their own view of the world. Everything was going hunky dory, and then suddenly it's not hunky dory. Okay, and then guess what? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? I'm a wonderful person. We're brilliant people. Why is this happening? And guess what Allah says in the Quran? You have to go through Uhud. You had to lose your companions. You had to lose your uncle on that day, Hamza radiallahu anhu. Yeah? You had to lose Muslim in Umair, who was really beloved to you. You know, you had to taste the bitterness of this before you had a victory. Now you've got to taste this because Allah wants you to taste this in order to learn the lesson to become more resilient, to bounce back, to show. And you know the bounce back. There's an you know, people don't know the seerah, but after the Battle of Uhud, you know, the companions came with the Prophet came back to Medina. They were, you know, you can imagine how 
physically devastating and exhausting this was, you know. And they kind of, you know, you know, uh, recamped and kind of just had a bit of a, you know, refresh. And, and guess what they did after that? You know, you'll just experience that someone has a has a loss. People generally go home and lick their wounds, feel sorry for themselves, and then they remonstrate and why did this happen? Why did this happen? And there's a lots of internal conflicts and this and that. What the Prophet did is that he came back with his army. They, you know, kind of, as I said, recouped. They kind of, you know, just kind of, just, you know, refreshed themselves. And then they marched straight back out. Because they said, look, if they've attacked us, they may come and attack us again. So now we need to go back out to face yeah. them again. Can you believe that? And then the year after Uhud, the Prophet again sent out an expedition back there to say that we're going to go back there now to make sure our presence is self. That's resilience. You know, can you believe it? You know, and this wonderful examples. You so Imran, the point is this: you had to taste this to become the better man, to become the better dad. You know, to become you know a better you know husband in the future. Yeah, all of these things. That's the only way. And you know, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of quotes out there. You know, which is all about failure is good. You know that failure is just one step away from you succeeding. Yeah, and that's exactly why we have to fail. We have to make mistakes. We have to fall flat on our on 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 our uh, face. We have to play a better player to get better. We have to constantly push ourselves out of comfort zones where we feel uncomfortable, where we feel challenged in order to build resilience and build that sense of, you know, fortitude, you know, testicular fortitude. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay, okay. You know what, that is? You know what yeah. testicular fortitude is? Yes, yeah? <laughs> yes, thank you. Yes, I think, I think I know. Um, yeah. So essentially what you're saying is the, um, the resilient are made rather than are born and um really we should see adversity as an opportunity of course it is it's all an opportunity Every, and that's what that hadith Ajabli, i mean everything is good it's all good it's everything is an opportunity everything is for you to grow to better to thrive and and so this is where we, we've been talking about the stages have it we've had adversities that have created traumas that have created our mindsets and paradigms and the way we look at the world. A lot of us are stuck there because we're not prepared to take the final journey towards resilience and truly thriving and truly growing. So that's where this, the, the blockage is, you know? And I can, like you said, we can create environments where we, and all kinds of therapies for helping to deal with the, the adversity and trauma. And as I said, we can give all manners of examples, yeah? Ultimately, you have to do it yourself by deeply introspecting and saying, you know what, it's all up to me. I've got to deal with it. So from, from our discussion, it would seem like uh, there's a lot of personal responsibility around being resilient and becoming resilient. Mm -hmm. And that might lead to certain people who feel genuinely devastated and down and are grief stricken. Um, yeah that their that their feelings are not legitimate right so what 
you know, what's the balance here? Because clearly people are going through incredibly tough times. You're going to be yeah. upset. They shouldn't feel guilty for feeling upset or feeling devastated or grieving. Absolutely not. And, and, and as I said, look, we create the safe space. We care. And, and that, that is a space of empathy and humility that we create. So we do not dismiss. We do not minimize or disregard what people have gone through. Absolutely. You know, and I'm not there just to kind of like say, oh, come on, get over it, suck it up. No, 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 that doesn't work, I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, so as I said, you know, we've got to be in the company of people who genuinely care about us and in an environment which genuinely cares about us. But then, Imran, you've got to say, if you've created that environment and you've provided that support, but then someone still persists in, in a particular mindset, yeah, which is not moving on, you know, why is that then? Why is that? And ultimately, it comes back onto the fact that it is a hard journey and we will self sabotage and everything else, yeah, you know. Uh, so I go back to the example of the most resilient people I've generally met in my life. Obviously, the Prophet Sallallahu example is exemplary for us. But, uh, you know, the real life examples as I spoke about in and I, and I actually made two checklists of different mindsets. I found one was what I call a passive reactive mindset, you know, uh, and this is basically a mindset where people become totally resilient, uh, reliant on others and systems for, for basically you come and sort out my problems. And they have the, what I call the self-limiting beliefs which is constant excuses why stuff doesn't happen, you know? And the excuses are, well, I didn't have the money, I didn't have the time, or I come from a poor area, or I'm this, or I'm that, yeah? So all this kind of stuff, yeah? And, uh, you know, these self-admitting beliefs, none of them really are, have any value or va uh, validity. They're just excuses that people are making. You know, if, if you haven't got money, you know, I'll give you money, or if you haven't got this, I, you know, these are things you can acquire, yeah? So people just have got programmed into, this reliance on others and other systems. Uh, and I call it, in the, when the Muslim call it, I call it the Mahdi complex, yeah? Basically, Mahdi complex is this, yeah? We're waiting for Mahdi to come and sort everything out for us, and that's it, okay? You're a Mahdi-type figure, yeah? And uh, and suddenly everything will be miraculous in there. And so what this does is that this disempowers you. It stops you because your reliance upon others and other systems, and that includes welfare systems, by the way. I'm not against welfare. I'm not, like I said, going to go into, you know, I don't believe in cutting benefits, but when you create way too many safety nets for people, then again, people have no sense of, one, you know, having to just go out there and, and just deal with stuff, yeah? So this disempowers people because, and they stop learning, interestingly, here, and they stop doing their own personal development, personal discovery. This, that's, this is it, you know, you and I, in this in these conversations, we've spoke about massive personal journeys of self-discovery, of self-learning, constantly reading, constantly learning from others, constantly expanding ideas. Well, you know, ask people when's the last time they read a book, and generally you've, or, or books on personal development, and, and they don't do it, I'm afraid, or when do they even go and engage in these processes, yeah? So then this creates the blame culture, me against the world, and the world is against me. You also, this is the other thing, people of this mindset actually view themselves as what I call ineffectual in bringing about change. You'll hear it, Emery, we can't do anything about this. We're just passengers. You know, they don't have the mindset that me, I'm gonna change the world. You know, I'm gonna do something about this, yeah? So, you know, and they actually see themselves as powerful. Nothing changes, people can't change. People, especially against what they see as, entrenched power 
the thing about Mahdi complex also linked to it is that they actually believe someone else will come and sort it out, you know, and uh, so that's all part of it. The, the other thing, which is the total opposite of resilience, is what I call delusional self-entitlement. Do you know we have so many people today who just feel so entitled that, you know, they're entitled that they think they're going to be rich, famous, happy, successful, all of this stuff. They're just based on an entitlement concept, okay? Because they've been told all lives, oh, you're going to have this, you're going to have that, you're going to have this, you're going to... and they don't realize, you know what? And if they don't, when they don't have it, just their lives are completely shook. And so this also you know, creates that. Unfortunately, all of that links in with absence of purpose. And individuals are also narcissistic, individualistic, and materialistic here. It's all about immediate gratification rather than, you know, having a higher purpose. And, uh, you know, so that's the what I call the passive reactive paradigm. Um, how can you bring up, how can you bring up resilient children? Well, because resilient children see that in their primary role models. That's how they see it. And you're not transferring and transmitting your toxicity onto them. And they see, you know, a simple example is that a child falls down, okay, and then you help them up and you just kind of tell them, look, you know, just it's okay, you know, to fall down. Or the, or when, you know, let, let, let's give a, a simple example in, in sporting, sporting terms, yeah. Child doesn't do well in sports. You can imagine a certain type of parents or even in exams, stuff like that, saying that, oh, you're a failure or this and that, comparing to others, yeah, not good enough. You know, saying, no, celebrate your children's success, whatever it is, you know, subhanAllah, yeah. But ultimately, it's modeling the behavior and creating that positive self-esteem, you know. And, and if they see you're driven by a higher purpose, I think, look, three things. If they see, one, you are driven by a higher purpose. Number two, you're always taking personal responsibility. Number three, you're grafting, you're working hard, yeah. Then it's just there's a modeling of that behavior. If they see when a crisis occurs that you lose it, that you're not in control, that you're deflecting, you're blaming the world. It's just a learned behavior. It's as simple as that. So what is the real, you know, kind of resilience paradigm? Yeah. And I call it, you know, proactive independence and self-reliance. You know? And I begin by talking about uh, eye of the tiger. Okay. Do you know what eye of the tiger is? Yeah. It's a, it's a song. Go on. Give me the first verse. Come on, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, we're going to play Rocky here. Get your air, air guitar out. Anyway, okay, the point is this. Rocky 3 is a... All the Rocky 3 films are just metaphors, yeah, as you know, yeah. And, feel, you know, the cultural references are metaphors, yeah. And what, who is Rocky fighting in all these films? Who is he fighting? Uh, the obvious answer is the opponent, but I guess it's himself. Yeah, he's always just fighting himself, yeah. Now, Rocky Three is interesting, yeah, because I have the tiger, yeah. Uh, Rocky Three is basically, you know, he just got so passive and dependent. He's just is that the one reliable. where he fights Mr. T? Mr. T is hungry from the street. Mr. T doesn't get dinner on his table, mate. Ooh. Mr. T. Club of Lang, yeah. Mr. T, yeah. It, no, it is. It's an interesting, it's a really good kind of metaphor. He's coming hungry from the streets, whooping everyone in his way. Mm. You know, I'm afraid uh, Rocky just got too comfortable in his life, stopped training, stopped doing the basics of what put, made him Rocky 1 and Rocky 2, you know, and uh, gets flabby. And I talk about flabby in the 
you know, kind of psychological sense, yeah, goes in there with entitlement, gets whooped, needed to get whooped, man, goes through denial and goes through deflection and blaming the world. Obviously, we know his uh, coach also, you know, I think he passes away in that. It's yeah, got tough, hard, hard, man, hard. It's tough, man. But then he realizes it's up to me, man. I've got to go back. The old school is the best school. Goes back to the streets, goes back to what made him resilient in the first place. Hungry, purpose, people that mean something in your life, value. Okay. And you know what? That's it. Comes back. Whoops, club lang, man. That's it. So it's Rocky Three for you. <laughs> okay. So what I found was, and I saw this in my kids in Uganda. They had the survival instinct and they understood direct causality between cause and effect. I have to do this to get this. No one else is going to do it for me. I've got to do this. You know, they live cause and effect every day and they, and they live and the cause and effect is linked to survival, very survival. And I know that's the hard end of real existential existence. Yeah. If I don't get through, if, look, if I don't work, kids are walk, walking four hours a day to school. If I don't walk to school, I can't get an education. I can't get an education. That's it. You know, no one is, and they said, no one is coming to my rescue. I've got to bounce back. I've got to do it here. Yeah. It's up to me and just take responsibility, accept accountability, you know. And also, you know, nothing is for free. There are no props. There are no free meals. There is no false aids. There is nothing self-control, discipline, delaying my gratification and then you can have what we call the prediction of outcomes as a result of this model you know this is the, this is the interesting thing when you when you do this yeah you you predict what's going to happen with this particular paradigm yeah mm. uh also you know this is the thing about it people have this people have this delusion that somehow i'm going to do it by myself no the resilience paradigm is this yeah that you, and it's linked to what i call the law of attraction and the abundance mindset I said about earlier. It's not self-centered. It's not selfish. It's not narcissistic. Because when you're truly resilient, the energy that you admit is so positive that people around you will say, you know what, I want to buy into this. You create teams and cooperation. And I, I give this example. There was a, a, a sister and she, you know, and within one minute, you know what I decided? In one minute, I said, I want to give you a job. I said to her, I want you to work for me. Within one minute, it was her energy, man. The energy was next level, man. The authentic energy, real energy, law of attraction. You know, the energy was immense. I said, this is what I like. These are the people I like. These are the people I want to work with. She's been in a wheelchair since the age of three. People only see a wheelchair. After 30 seconds, you don't see no wheelchair. Mm. I'm telling you, you know, this is, you know, and this is the law of attraction. Whereas, I mean, you're, you're coming across that, you know, Rocky, after he's been beaten by Club uh, Lang and he's feeling sorry for himself, he's deflecting, he's blaming the world, he's taking, you know, you know, he just descends into, what kind of energy is that? Hmm. Are you going to buy into that energy? No, if anything, in the movie, everybody leaves him. Yeah. I think he yeah. he, he loses his marriage. Uh, Adrian, uh, Adrian, yeah, 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 absolutely. 
And so that that's the whole thing, you know, uh, the the proactive, independent, self-reliance, resilient mindset. What it, the energy it gives off creates attraction of like-minded, or you know, similar energies, and and that creates teamwork and partnership and cooperation and connection, real connection. Okay, so it's been a while since I recorded that with Elias. And what happens during the process of editing is uh, you obviously listen back to the conversation quite a number of times. Um, and it, with each listen, um, it just adds something that you didn't understand before or had missed before. And uh, there's still a couple of questions in my mind, and it essentially re revolves around personal responsibility because in the previous episodes around addiction we understood that many people suffer in their childhood um, from a very young age in such a way that it inhibits their ability to make effective decisions um, and in the episode this episode we, we we use the term executive function and that's to do with the prefrontal lobe, and that's something that can be inhibited through 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 early childhood trauma. Um, and so, when it comes to the subject of resilience, I do appreciate that we have choice. I do, but I do believe some people have an easier choice than others. And um, thinking about that and its relationship to resilience. Is, is not something that I've concluded on yet. But that's okay. That's okay. You're not meant to find all of the answers by having these conversations or by listening to these conversations. It's simply meant to push you forwards, and it's definitely done that. Please do get in touch. DivorcedMuslimDad at gmail.com. DM me on Twitter or Instagram at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum.